and you're listening to Bikini Drive-In on CKW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Our mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens. We have backgrounds in screen and media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Our combined knowledge and experience will hopefully provide you with access points to feminist theory, art history, and film critique while using horror and science fiction genres as a site of discourse. Since we'll be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, content warning, of course, and listener discretion is advised. Also, spoilers ahead. This week, we will be discussing John Carpenter's 1982 film, The Thing. setting is a desolate, frigid Antarctica tundra. Scientists located at an American research station experience an unsettling situation involving a Norwegian helicopter which crash lands near their base. The, pilots st- the pilot starts firing and shouting at the scientists, and he is shot dead by station commander Gary. Bamboozled by the bizarre events, American helicopter pilot R.J. McCready, played by a young and hunky Kurt Russell, and Dr. Cooper set out to investigate the funny business happening at the Norwegian station. Among charred ruins and frozen corpses, the two find the burned remains of a malformed, human-like being which they bring back to the American station. The ill-fated Norwegian helicopter, which flew towards the American base, was in pursuit of a sled dog, which has been kenneled by the American team. The dog soon starts to mutate, absorbing the other station dogs. So sad. (laughs) A team member named Child, played by Keith David, kills the dog and an autopsy is performed, revealing that it is a creature which can perfectly imitate other organisms. Recovered data from the Norwegian camp leads the Americans to an excavation site containing a partially buried alien spacecraft. Blair, the team biologist, begins to get paranoid about the nebulous creature possibly assimilating all life on Earth. Anxiety-inducing lockdown mode begins. The malformed human-like creature, which was brought to the American base, assimilates Bennings, one of the American team members. But the process is interrupted by another team member, and McCready burns the Bennings creature. Blair, the original paranoid one, sabotages the vehicles, kills all the dogs, and destroys the radio to prevent any escape. Blair is locked away. However, the team still undergoes a test to compare each each member's blood against uncontaminated blood held in storage. 
After realizing that all the blood stores have been destroyed, a general panic of assumption, self-defense, and fear of assimilation begins as they are slowly realizing the power of this parasitic extraterrestrial life form. It is discovered that every part of the thing is an individual life form with its own survival instincts. Another blood test is acted upon using a heated piece of wire. Everyone passes but a man named Palmer, whose blood jumps from the heat. Chaos ensues as the Palmer creature infects another team member, and they are both burned. Among the slew of people on guard and people searching, they find that Blair, the paranoid biologist, has escaped to assemble a small spacecraft. It is speculated that the thing plans to return to hibernation until a rescue team arrives and the team decides to explode the entire American base. As they set up the explosives, Blair returns, killing Gary and destroying the detonator. Kurt Russell saves the day by triggering the explosives with dynamite and obliterates the base. McCready, Kurt, is joined by Childs, who has been out pursuing Blair. And they watch the station burn. Exhausted and freezing, they acknowledge the futility of their situation, the distrust which destroyed them, and they share some scotch. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so what was your first experience with the thing, Olivia? Uh, so I've seen the thing so many times, and I can't even remember the first time actually watching it. I usually don't really care for movies where a bunch of dudes are just talking, but <laughs> I love this movie a lot. Uh, the practical effects are amazing. The soundtrack and the sound effects set an isolating and frightening tone. Dudes! Who knew? So many dudes in this film. <laughs> I first watched it in, in high school, and I really, really loved it. I was having this uh, Mordecai Rickler, like Solomon Gursky was here, phase, and was really interested in the history and the mysteries, <coughs> fictions, and all things kind of surrounding Arctic colonization. Mm -hmm. So coming across this film at that time of peak frozen landscape mm -hmm. curiosity, <laughs> um, and then especially with the thing blending science fiction and horror the way it does, was really exciting for me. And yet... So many dudes. Yeah. <laughs> in the Arctic. In yeah. The oh my gosh. Freezing in the Arctic. Um, yeah. So in interviews, John Carpenter has mentioned that he didn't want to cast women because he didn't want the standard mainstream love interest or sexual tension, which is kind of like, obviously, women uh, are more than that. Yeah. Um, Never seen a complex female character. Yeah. John Carpenter. <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not in 1982. Also, he argues that the thing has a female energy. So... To follow this line of thinking, the thing is the female threat to the male status quo. And I have a quote here from Tracy Moore, writing for MailMagazine.com. So um, what's telling is that uh, she's discussing McCready uh, accusing the chess computer, which is voiced by Adrian Barbeau. This is the only, like, female only other female presence in the whole movie. Um, so he calls her a cheating bitch. And so uh, Tracy Moore writes that that's telling because a bitch is a female dog, but in the thing, the female dog is the alien and the alien is a woman and the woman is nature. The movie is really about woman nature invading all male space via the Trojan horse of a dog, man's best friend. The thing is actually a brilliant claustrophobic paranoid meditation on masculine fear. It's about what happens when men hole up away from civilization and women. It's about the hierarchical homophobic hair trigger suspicion and folly that ensues when systems break down and when men have the arrogance to think that they can outsmart nature. So I kind of find that the, the, to argue that the thing represents sort of, has like a feminine energy is kind of subscribing to like, it's just very gender essentialist to me. Mm -hmm. So rather than um, subscribe to gender essentialism, I associate the thing with nature, with something ancient and more powerful than human beings. In this way, the film to me feels like an anti-colonial story. The ancient presence is reclaiming this colonial outpost. 
testing the thing and, and realized very quickly that we had to be realistic. And uh, although there are women who work in the Antarctic, uh, and that, that would be a real thing to put them in there, it's more fun, I think, I thought at the time, to make this an all-male movie, uh, simply because uh, you wouldn't have to deal with that issue. They had a girl in the, they had a couple of women in Hawks' version. And I thought maybe it would be a more of a streamlined approach in an all-male movie. I hadn't seen one in a long time. Oh, John, I do not feel sorry for you <laughs> yeah. that you haven't seen an all-male movie in a while. Oh, so hard. Okay. So hard to find relatable characters <laughs> for you on screen. Um, but yeah, as, as you mentioned, Olivia, with the, that, that scene with the, the, the one moment where there's any sort of yeah, female representation and what Kurt Russell, how he acts towards it is yeah. just like oh my gosh very telling of yeah. of i think the archaic way that and regressive way that john carpenter and also apparently the script writer as well reviewing and probably continue to view possibly um female roles and yeah. complex female characters yeah there's also pretty much no women on set mm -hmm. i think there's one model maker who was a woman but most of the it yes. just kind of seemed like this hive mind Completely. Maybe. Yeah, and then so it's actually kind of interesting to to look at that because of this film. Arguably, I I agree that it can definitely be looked at at a as a critique of masculinity. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's it's interesting that um, that truly even the folks working on the film, there's such a lack of of female presence mm -hmm. or any sort of greater gender knowledge yeah yeah it's very interesting mm -hmm. um yeah because there it is sort of this ensemble glob of males mm -hmm. that we're working with and as much as mccready and child stand out to their final position together the amount of indistinguishable indistinguishable male characters and yeah. the lack of time for character development uh kind of hint at a disposability of human beings specifically paranoid old <laughs> white men <laughs> it's like oh it just turns into like oh these old white men are so paranoid and uh, can't are so emotionally stunted. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it does kind of reflect on on themes of humanity and universal strife um, because of of this kind of. I mean, you could say also whitewashing mm -hmm. of of the crew. Yeah. Um, so then, not humanity, but that fits in with the colonization mm -hmm. lens of how we're viewing the creature. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating to see that female bodies and voices are basically omitted completely from this narrative. Mm -hmm. um, so then, yeah, I guess I'm taking back what I just said yeah. <laughs> about humanity, humanity and universal strife. Um, yeah. Yeah, sidebar. I got, I've been <laughs> really, in, this is so embarrassing. You just rolled your eyes at me. I've been really, okay, I've been on, whatever, American Cable. You get into weird things. Sure. Okay, so I've been watching this show called Naked and Afraid, which I didn't know existed. Apparently, Olivia did. It's a well-known reality it's show. It's a stupid reality show. White nonsense. It is white nonsense. <laughs> However, so is the thing. Yeah. I find those two very parallel yeah. because as the show Naked and Afraid, it's complete white nonsense. Every episode just ends with being a comment on toxic masculinity. Masculinity in general can be such a detriment to society, yeah. to society, to survival, to to so many things. Mm -hmm. So it's been just really funny because I've been totally dumb binging on that show, <laughs> and then to be like visiting the thing again, it's like, okay, masculinity is very much the problem, yeah. and <laughs> identifying the thing in 
the thing. Mm -hmm. It takes vulnerability. It takes communication. It takes empathy. And these men are very hesitant to do that. And it's costing them their lives and possibly all of civilization. So Mm -hmm. this could be taken to bigger discussions of capitalism and climate change Mm -hmm. as well. um, And how pride and stunted emotional growth are bigger problems than we often perceive. Um, I'm talking a lot here. But yeah. So yeah, the thing can be perceived through a feminist lens as the creature, the thing being a metaphor for patriarchy, being this non-human entity. Um, it's clear that the thing hurts all creatures in its wake. The patriarchy damages all genders mm-hmm. under its hegemony. This is another aspect for the thing being a critique of masculinity within capitalist patriarchy. Um, the men in the thing are these military types mm-hmm. identifying as masculine and they definitely have hero complexes mm-hmm. and there is lots of aggression and violence coming from these men. And, and yeah, we see Kurt Russell's anger with his little tantrum playing chess. Mm-hmm. So, and with the creature being able to shape shift it, it, yeah, it implies that women are also susceptible to the forces of patriarchy. I mean, mm-hmm. looking at how many women have voted for horrific political figures yeah. and passed anti-constitutional bills for the sake of patriarchy. Beach Cherokee. <laughs> now I'll show you what I already know. It's a crock of shit. Let's try the Doc and Clark. Human, huh? Which makes you a murderer, don't it? Palmer now. This is pure nonsense. Doesn't prove a thing. I thought you'd feel that way, Gary. You were the only one that could have got to that blood. We'll do you last. <laughs> The blood test scene. I love it. Um, wow, what a great scene. Yeah. Uh, I can't help, and this is something that there's reading on, there's other discussions I've been engaged with that talk about this. It's not my original idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I can't help but um, think about the HIV AIDS epidemic. So it's, uh, especially knowing how the thing assimilates with organisms mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and reading more about it, it's apparent that Carpenter really struggled with finding a method with which to convey this assimilation. It sounds like they wanted it to be enigmatic. They wanted it to be, yeah, kind of beyond a figure or beyond mm-hmm. a, a form or structure yeah. or concrete view, mm-hmm. gaze, idea. 
can't talk. This allows for multiple readings of what is implied by the assimilation and what it could stand for. So whether physical, cultural, emotional, um, and as we've discussed in many episodes, the mystery uh, of the assimilation implies a nihilism mm-hmm. that echoes long after the final credits. So, yeah, nihilism. New, not a new theme for horror films. No, no. <laughs> not at all. Um, but yeah, this, uh, this reading of it being uh, perhaps hearkening back to the HIV-AIDS epidemic, um, it fits with the film's overriding theme of paranoia and mistrust mm-hmm. and the element involving distrust of our own bodily autonomy mm-hmm. in particular is of interest to me. And even those who have been, and the fact that, yeah, even those who have been infected with this alien creature um, virus might not be aware that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the fact, the idea that your body is not your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are readings of this being about distrust of one's peers and one's community. Um, distrust of entire institutions is another reading of this blood scene. Um, but then also knowing that this film came out in 82, which is shortly after the beginning of the AIDS and HIV epidemic, it has been, yeah, compared to the fear of bodily infection mm-hmm. and then the paranoia surrounding a really under-researched, underfunded, and stigmatized disease. Mm-hmm. So the blood test scene is really uh, emblematic of this for me. And then the isolation and deterioration of quality of life and community um, that this kind of, that ripples mm-hmm. forth from, from this. Yeah, I totally agree with that reading, for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing, cinema, speaking of cinematography, cinematography, going over to that area. route area, <laughs> uh, yeah, how it's shot is so so beautiful. Mm-hmm. They focus so much on these extreme wide angles with lots of negative space around the actors in the shot, and yeah. it really yeah, creates that scene of or that sense of confinement within mm-hmm. the image and implies something kind of watching or or lurking on the outside of the frame. Um, and this is heightened with these long white shots of. Um, a lot of them are filmed in Alaska and British Columbia and British Columbia. Yeah. Up north with the Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, if you're interested more in, in that kind of stuff, it's called anamorphic format. It's a little bit confusing to me, but Google it. (laughs) I'm not going to get into the technicalities of it. I'm not a filmmaker. Google it. It just looks beautiful. Um, one thing that I also really like in, in, in learning more about how the film was made mm-hmm. is there's this sort of like time touching time or time lapse, mm-hmm. uh, that happens with, uh, the Norwegian camp scenes were filmed after the end scenes so that the oh. exploded American base could stand in as the oh, burned Norwegian, Norwegian camp. Yeah. And so I really enjoy thinking of that as like a double exposure, um, location kind of like implying this cycle of paranoia yeah, and that fits into your nihilistic read of it how yeah. it's just like it'll just continue to happen exactly and then that fact that that was kind of just inherent in how they made the film yeah. too I really enjoy oh, that's that that's cool yeah that's cool to think about I know I, I love it
scene. Me too. That's my favorite. It's so scary. It's incredible. <laughs> Can you tell me what you just told me? Oh, yeah. I just sound? love how the sound that the thing makes as it's in Benning's form, mm-hmm. it just sounds like it's coming from everywhere. Like, it's just so, like, it just surrounds the viewer and the men as they're watching. Yep. It's just, it's so amazing. And it's I just so think creepy. it just makes me think that it's like, it's not just thing, but it's nature and all encompassing. Yep. It's so spooky. <laughs> it's so spooky. Yeah. And yo, Morokone, uh, composed. <laughs> I Googled how to say his name and I'm going to say it as much as I want. <laughs> Compose a film score. Uh, he wrote, yeah, complete separate orchestral and synth scores mm-hmm. as well as a combined score. And then Carpenter also contributed to the score with his own synth kind of compositions, which he um, kind of apparently considers more sound effects mm-hmm. rather than musical. Uh, I don't know. Apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, what you heard earlier with this alien's voice is this haunting echo, or not echo, but this Like all-encompassing sound. Yeah. 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 Ooh. Yeah. Goosebumps. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it totally loops back to what you were saying, Olivia, about mm-hmm. colonization and with the thing being this enigmatic bodiless really mm-hmm. or just like a presence yes yeah. yes yes and and how it can be looked at as highlighting the tensions of settler force mm-hmm. the americans and the norwegians are located at these scientific bases meant to explore and sample and study a remote area of our planet so while playing into the gender dynamic of the male scientists and the female or gender fluid alien force mm-hmm. yeah we can look at it um totally as human versus nature mm-hmm. and highlighting colonial fear and Colonial violence, complete yeah, violence uh, towards indigenous or or other populations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then to see that be so, I don't know, reflected in the sound of yeah. this film is yeah, totally. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well, what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Mm-hmm. It comes from our friend Cyrus Smith, and he asks, how do the old gore films compare to new ones being released? Great question. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks, um, Cyrus. I 
I don't have a problem with with new movies. I just have a problem with kind of like bad CGI. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just prefer practical effects to something that's too computer. Yeah, for me. <laughs> your your computer <laughs> too computer. descriptor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, completely. The practical effects age, they age so much better. Yeah. And and I mean, especially looking at your body horror, which mm-hmm. which we've been doing a lot of, yeah. there's such a uh, an interest in, in how it's being made and, totally. and what if they're using like KY jelly yeah, or like yeah. gum or, or paint thinner, whatever yeah. nonsense that they use yeah. for this movie. Yeah. It's really fascinating to just learn how they're making these things. Mm-hmm. And then now we're if if there's going to be lots of gore, then it's yeah more digitally created. It, mm-hmm. it takes away from the artistic practice. Yeah, of it. and like an essence <laughs> of it, and it just yeah. like I feel like CGI or bad effects or whatever can just feel so dated very mm-hmm. quickly compared to practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, one of like new film that uses practical effects and is also a bit too computer is the new <laughs> evil dead oh movie, yeah which i really enjoyed i don't have a problem with remakes or or new versions of things so i really liked it they used a lot of fake blood and it looked cool <laughs> but still use some cgi yeah yep yep yeah thanks so much for the question thanks cyrus um oh yeah we have speaking of evil dead cool mm. segue cool segue olivia uh, <laughs> We have uh, a live show coming up at the end of July. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll look at the date here. July. Ding, ding, boom. Uh, July 27th. Saturday, July 27th at Gary Street Coffee. We're going to yeah. be talking about and showing Evil Dead. Come and join us. have some guests. Yep. And yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be cool and weird. What time will it start at? Uh, maybe seven or eight. Yeah. I haven't quite figured it out yet, but live show coming up. Yeah. And you get to maybe ask questions in person. Yeah. Hear us talk. Maybe join the convo. <laughs> and it's going to be recorded uh, for the show. So it's going to be aired also. Yeah. If you miss it. But it should be fun. It should be really fun. And then I'm you get excited. to watch Evil Dead, which rules. I love that movie. Yeah. And fun. we can talk about problems. Or not problems, but like weird things about it. Yeah, and we'll be wearing really beautiful shirts. Oh, yeah, I made Olivia made tie-dye just for the special mm-hmm. event. So come for the tie-dye. Stay for Evil Dead. Please. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's July 27th at Gary Street Coffee. And there'll be more about it on our Instagram in the coming weeks. socials. Yes. Um, but if you have a listener question or want to talk about the thing or what have you, you can email mm-hmm. us at bikinidrivein at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, and that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. You can listen every Sunday at 4.30 on CQW 95.9 FM. Bye. Goodbye.
You're listening to CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Our frequency celebrates diversity.